keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic Drive Time. And welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Today is Monday, October 9th, 2023. And... Well, not technically, but we're going to go with the Feast of Our Lady the Rosary because that was on Saturday, but we weren't here Saturday. And so I really wanted to talk about Our Lady of the Rosary, otherwise known as Our Lady of Victory. And we actually celebrated it yesterday after Mass. We had a major Marian procession and we prayed the Rosary. It was a lot of fun. Well, in 1566, Christendom faced extreme peril. See, the Huguenots were waging war in France, and for those who don't know, the Huguenots are the French Calvinists who are uh, slaughtering the Catholics over there. Then you had the Spanish Netherlands that were in revolt. England was assisting the anti-Catholic forces, and Muslim aggression throughout Europe and the Mediterranean was on the rise. The threat for the Ottoman Empire was particularly significant, with Suleiman leading massive armies and plotting attacks on Christian territories. Now, St. Pius V had great concern recognizing the peril, and he believed that the Ottoman power could be broken through with a crusade, uh, which he ended up later calling the Holy League. Now, he emphasized spiritual warfare in regards to the crusade, calling for more prayers, especially the rosary, to be responded by pious Catholics, monks, and nuns in their cloisters. So St. Pius V tirelessly organized an anti-Turkish league, seeking alliances among European powers against the Ottoman threat. Now, many of these nations were reluctant, and they kind of evaded replies from various monarchs, as Spain and Venice were willing to contribute resources, but most others were incredibly reluctant. Of all of the commanders, Don Juan of Austria was chosen as the supreme commander of the Christian fleet, though through divine intervention signified during the Pope's Mass, As he reached the Gospel of St. John, it was revealed to Pius V that Don John of Austria should be chosen. He was skillfully united desperate elements into a cohesive fleet, leading with crucifix in hand and receiving immense enthusiasm from his soldiers. Now, in October of 1571, the Christian fleet comprised of 81,000 soldiers and sailors sailed out from Messina in Sicily. Their mission to seek and destroy the Muslim fleet commanded by Allah Pasha. The fleet moved in a file across the, uh, the Ionian Sea, arriving in Corfu before proceeding towards Lepanto. Now, on September 7th, the fleets clashed in the Gulf of Corinth. Despite being outnumbered, the Christians displayed superior firepower using cannons and, and harquebuses, which the Turks mainly relied on bows and arrows. Now, the fierce battle occurred and the individual acts of valor were witnessed, resulting in the death of Ali Pasha and a decline in the spirit of the Ottoman forces. The Christian fleet achieved an overwhelming victory over the Ottoman Empire, losing about 240 galleys and 30,000 men, while the League suffered minimal loss. St. Pius V was given divine knowledge knowing that the victory had been won and led additional rosaries and additional masses being said in celebration of the victory. And it also led to the Feast of the Holy Rosary to be celebrated on this day, or two days ago, rather. 
So it has become a beautiful symbol of Our Lady's intercession, her victory. Now, there are as many miracles that were associated with the Battle of Ponta that happened as well, but we'll have to save that for another time. But we can always recognize this as something that we can remember and say, hey, let's let's look to Our Lady as Our Lady of Victory, that she give us the courage, the strength, and the power to defeat our enemies, to be able to conquer and for an honor of Christ the King. So we give this to Our Lady today, and we ask her to strengthen us and to give us our the power to be courageous soldiers for Christ. Our Lady of the Rosary, pray for, for us. us. Uh, good morning to you, Rudy Carlos. Good morning, Adrian. And the thing that I love the most about the story of Lepanto is how much faith people had in Our Lady, mm. you know, in such an impossible situation. They turned to Our Lady and said, please, Our Lady, please grant us this victory. Please grant us this victory for our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think in these impossible situations that we find ourselves today, uh, today, tomorrow, this week, we can offer all of those up, those crosses, and ask, Our Lady, please grant us victory if it be God's holy will. Amen. Amen. I completely agree. Now, on a slightly different note, I heard rumor that someone got to go no. kayaking. Did you hear that? I heard oh, that. Oh, come on. Is that true? It was true. It's true. I got to tell you, it was the most epic kayaking outing I've had ever. No if kidding. not, if I'm notwithstanding the birds, like the birds that I saw that day were top tier, S tier, as some would say. But I'll talk about that in the after show. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Okay. Well, there you go, folks. Uh, Rudy Carlos, after what has it been? Six. Eight months of you saying you're going to go kayaking. I had to. And I had you finally to. did it. Yeah, the kayak is it. the kayak's named Lepanto, so I had to do. Did it you this name weekend. it Lepanto? Yeah, it, that's I hilarious. Had to do it this weekend in honor of the Battle of Lepanto. There you go. That's hilarious. Okay. Well, praise be to God. All right. Well, we have a lot going to go on today during the show. At 15 past the hour, Israel invaded was invaded by Palestine. That's very interesting. We'll talk about that at 15 past the hour. A lot to be said there. And we'll probably just barely scratch the surface of what's going on over there. At 30 past the hour, uh, betrayed without a kiss. Defending marriage after years of failed leadership in the church. John Clark joins us to talk about his book. We'll be talking about that at 30 past the hour. In the next hour, happy Columbus Day. Can you believe it? Today is Columbus Day. So we're going to talk about Columbus Day in the next hour. And I, I'd i imagine a lot of people are off of school today because of Columbus. So they won't be having a, a it'll be interesting to, to talk about. So we'll talk about that in the next hour. I, for one, am a huge fan of Columbus. And if uh, maybe you know someone who's a member of the Knights of Columbus, and maybe they, too, have a great Love for Columbus. So we'll talk about that in the next hour. A lot going on, plus our Fear and Trembling Game Show. We're going to give out prizes, so make sure that you call in. Be ready to call in at any time, because we're going to play that game and give out prizes. But let's begin in prayer. We're going to be praying for your intentions. Whatever it is that you have going on this week, we pray for that. We also pray for uh, tomorrow we have our Houston Fishers of Men Gala, so we ask for your prayers for that as well. For our friends, family, and benefactors, and all those that we promise to pray for, for the for the salvation of souls and liberty and exaltation of Holy Mother Church, and for peace in the world and the reign of Mary to come. In a special way, I want to ask for your, your prayers for my grandfather, that he be healed of his uh, manifold illnesses and pain that he's suffering through right now. 
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. O Virgin Mary, grant that the recitation of thy rosary may be for me each day, in the midst of my manifold duties, a bond of unity in my actions, a tribute of filial piety, a sweet refreshment, an encouragement to walk joyfully along the path of duty. Grant above all, O Virgin Mary, that the study of thy fifteen mysteries may form in my soul little by little a luminous atmosphere, pure, strengthening, and fragrant, which may penetrate my understanding, my will, my heart, my memory, my imagination, my whole being. So shall I acquire the habit of praying while I work without the aid of formal prayer by interior acts of admiration and of supplication, or by aspirations of love. I ask this of thee, O Queen of the Holy Rosary, through St. Dominic, thy son of predilection, the renowned preacher of thy mysteries, and the faithful imitator of thy virtues. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now, your headline news with Rudy Carlos. Good morning. You're listening to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Now, there's a lot of developing stories this week, so please make sure to tune into Catholic Drive Time for more updates. Now, today, you have uh, these headlines. U.S. is moving carrier group to eastern Mediterranean Sea in response to Hamas attack on Israel. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin uh, announced on Sunday that the U.S. is moving a carrier group to the eastern Mediterranean Sea in addition to other moves in response to the attack on Israel by Hamas this weekend. The Ford carrier group is already in the Mediterranean Sea, having recently conducted exercises off the coast of Italy, according to a statement by the Navy issued last Thursday. And the Israeli media say the death toll from Hamas's wide-ranging incursion has risen to 600. The death toll has risen to at least 600 people due to the wide-ranging incursion by Hamas into Israel. The casualties on both sides include fighters and civilians. Israeli soldiers engaged in street battles with Hamas fighters and launched retaliatory strikes in Gaza, resulting in the leveling of buildings. There are concerns about a potential broader conflict with Hezbollah in northern Israel. The surprise attack marked the deadliest incident in Israel in decades, with Hamas carrying out a major intelligence failure. Civilians have suffered greatly with a high number of casualties and numerous captive or missing Israelis, as well as Americans. And the post office is to increase stamp prices again in 2024 due to inflationary pressures. If approved by the Postal Regulatory Commission, the charges, or rather the changes, would take effect on January 21st, 2024. New rates include a two-cent increase for first-class mail forever stamps, among other proposed changes. They say, quote, As inflationary pressures on operating expenses continue and the efforts of a previously defective pricing model are still being felt, these price adjustments are needed to provide the Postal Service with much-needed revenue to achieve the financial stability sought by de- its delivering to America's 10-year plan, unquote, the USPS said in a statement. Last year, the USPS announced that it would increase prices to cope with rising costs of doing operations. The previous increase raised prices approximately by 4.2%. Now, those are some of your headlines today, but stay tuned on Catholic Drive Time for more. Now, the gospel of the day comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. It's a rather large passage, but you'll be very familiar with this passage. It is the question of, who is my neighbor? And our Lord gives a parable of this good Samaritan, right? So we've all heard this parable many times. But, you know, it's interesting that this passage would come up today in regards to what is going on in the world today. And we should ask ourselves, who is our neighbor? Now, 
this man who asked our Lord about this question to begin with, he did this to justify himself. He wanted to say, hey, look, I hang out with good people. The people I hang out with are righteous. And so those are my neighbor and I am like my neighbor, right? Well, our Lord corrects him and tells him that this is not the case. And I think this is important to keep in mind. Because many times we try to justify ourselves by saying, I hang out with good and righteous people. And that's good to do so because, you know, you end up becoming like those that you hang out with. So it's good to hang out with those kind of people. But nonetheless, our neighbor is he who needs our help. And that is what our Lord is trying to get across. Because the Jews at the time, Cornelius Alapide points this out. He says, there was much questioning among the scribes concerning this and much error. For because it is written in Leviticus, thou shalt love thy friend. They infer the contrary. Thou shalt hate thy enemy, which is the Gentile, everyone not a Jew. An error in which Christ corrected. So the Jews, and this is just a common opinion among the Jews, is that you must hate your enemy. For if you only, if the scripture tells us explicitly love your friend, well, then that must mean that we must hate our enemy. But our Lord corrects this. He says, this is not what is meant when he says, thou shalt love thy friend. And it means that we should love our friend, but it does not exclude our enemy. For in fact, we should love our enemy. We should love those that hate thee. And it's important to keep this in mind because just because it says that we love our enemy does not mean they are not our enemy. This is something to keep in mind. This is something that's very important. For Cornelius Lapide points out, the Samaritan truly was the enemy to the Jew. He was a heretic. He was a betrayer of the faith. And yet, he was the neighbor because he cared for him. He took care of him. This does not negate the fact that they are separate. There are separations between the two. So just like if we saw somebody who was a, we'll say, a Muslim, and we saw a Jew, we saw a Protestant who was in need, well, we certainly should help them. But that does not mean that they are now, we are in agreement 100%, that we all are worshiping the same things, and we all have the same beliefs, or that all are saved. None of these things are implied by that. And I think that's important to keep in mind, because our Lord here makes a distinction between a friend and our enemy. And yet, we are to help all people. We are to help those who are in need. We have to show mercy on them. And lastly, this is an allegory to Adam who was wounded, dead by trespasses and sins. And the Christ is the neighbor, brings him to the inn, which is the church, to be saved by the wine that's poured over it, which is the blood of Christ. We'll be right back with more right after this. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever noticed what happens when you try to keep up with the current fashions? You go nuts. When we are obsessed with keeping up with the times, we become slaves. Fashions are never settled. To chase something that is always changing is simply futile. It's not freedom, it's insanity. G.K. Chesterton says, The Catholic Church is the only thing that saves a man from the degrading slavery of being a child of his age. Christianity is always out of fashion because it's always sane, and fashions are always insane. The Catholic Church never has to worry about being behind the times because it is beyond the times. Want more than a minute? Visit our website, 
chesterton.org. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to learn about a great Catholic saint. Wouldn't it be great if everyone read the lives of the saints? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. It is good to be here. Especially whenever there is much turmoil in the world. You know, it's always good when we see turmoil to stop and thank God for the blessings we have. Because it could be otherwise, right? It could be otherwise. And maybe one day it will be otherwise. And so let's take the opportunity today to give God thanks for all the good things that he has given us. Now, there was a lot of things. I actually had a number of things that I was planning on Friday. I was planning for the show on Monday. There were some things I wanted to cover, and now they've all kind of been sidelined because there was a little story, I don't know if you heard about it, that came out on Saturday, namely that Israel was invaded by Palestine. And I was following the story all of Saturday, all of Sunday. I was just keeping up with what was going on. And there was so much. There was so much. And it's like, okay, where do you even begin when talking about this? So the question is, what happened, right? The question is, what happened? And immediately when this happened, I was like very confused. I actually went to Israel a back in, I want to say it was 2014, I want to say I went to Israel and I went actually by a, by sponsored by the state of Israel, actually the, the state of Israel gave a fund to the university of St. Thomas that sponsored people to go to Israel to learn about what was uh, the, about Jewish traditions and Israel and all those kind of things. And we took a class on the uh, uh, the biblical roots of Israel. So we went and followed the path of our Lord, obviously. So we went to a bunch of Christian sites as well. Uh, but we went to the Holocaust Museum. We went to the wall at the um, at Israel. And we met with some people from Israel that were talking to us about how the wall works, how the Israel Defense Force works, and all these different things. And so when I saw this, I was really shocked. Because when we were meeting, they were telling us, you know, that we have some of the greatest defense in the world. Our intelligence is is better than anyone else's in the world. Uh, we can't even if a if a mouse got too close to the border wall, uh, we would immediately know. And it would tell us all these things, and I and then all of a sudden you have hundreds of soldiers driving up to the border wall and able to get through. I was absolutely shocked. And then I saw this video, and I want to play this clip for you because this comes from a woman who is in Israel, who was part of the Israel Defense Force, and is a Jew. And so I want to play it because people are going to accuse you of being anti-Semitic for saying there's something weird going on. And so I want to play this woman explaining what is happening here. Uh, Taylor, could you play that for me? October 7th, 2023. This is Afat Fenningson, and I'm here to share an update from Israel-Hamas war, which started this morning. 
I'm going to share some key details and concerns, mostly based on Israeli citizens' voices. Okay, from could the you skip ahead to the three minute and forty six second mark? It's uh, we don't want to play. This is a seven minute clip. We don't want to play all of it. Could you skip ahead to the three minute and forty six second mark? All right. Well, hopefully we'll be able to get that played at some point and we shall see. But Israeli intelligence, what happened two years ago, there were um, there was a successful deployment of underground barriers with sensors to alert exactly on these kind of terrorist breaches. Israel has one of the most advanced and high tech armies. How come there was zero response to the border and fence breaching? I cannot understand that. Personally, I served in the IDF 25 years ago in the intelligence forces. There's no way, in my view, that Israel did not know of what's coming. A cat moving alongside the fence is triggering all forces. So this? What happened to the strongest army in the world? How come border crossings were wide open? Something is very wrong here. Something is very strange. This chain of events is very unusual and not typical for the Israeli defense system. With the recent normalization efforts of Israel and Palestine right. led so by we'll Saudi Arabia. And this is, it's really interesting that she says this. This is very, very interesting. And the point that I want to get across is that we don't know what's happening. And we can take a lesson that we should have learned from Ukraine and Russia, right? When that whole crisis came out, there was many reports that came out reporting on various different things. And immediately people were jumping to conclusions. They were believing all the reports they were seeing. And what did we find out? A lot of them were fake. <laughs> the number one one that people will remember, there was dozens. But the one that kind of sticks to people's memories was, what did they call them? The the ghost of Ukraine or what was it that they called them? And this, it was an airplane pilot who was shooting down Russian planes left and right, single-handedly taking them down. And everybody was like, oh, wow, that's so amazing. There's video footage of it happening. And it was from a video game. There was also Snake Island where they said, oh, yeah, these, these guys, they went out to their last stand. And it mm -hmm. turns out it was a complete fabrication. It was just propaganda. Right. And so we should make sure that we remember this. Whenever these things are happening, and it's already happened. For instance, there was one story that came out on Saturday that was saying, oh, yeah, this soldier, which there was a video of the Palestinians had this woman in the back of their truck who they were driving off. And they were saying this was a IDF soldier who was kidnapped and was brought back for interrogation and for torture and all these different things. We find out later that. The Well, and I say find out, but who knows, right? We'll might maybe find out more information about this that's not true even further. But we find out the next day that it was actually an Israeli citizen who was at a rave and was kidnapped. And then people were reporting that she died. They, I don't know if that's true or not. And people are saying things like this. And I'm like, how do we know? We don't. For instance, here's another story that I saw that I'm getting conflicting reports. There was reports saying that the Israelis, the Israeli Defense Force, were desecrating the bodies of the Palestinians that they were killing. And then there was other reports saying the Palestinians were doing the same to the Israelis. Now, I probably wouldn't be surprised if it was happening on both sides. That's not to say that either of their governments are endorsing those kind of things, uh, but simply that those things are happening. Or maybe they're not happening. Who knows? And that's kind of the point that I want to get across. We can't pretend that we know what's going on. For instance, here's another thing. We've seen reports that 
thousands have died. And then I saw 700 died. And then I saw a thousand died. And I'm saying, thinking, who, okay, how many died? There is another report saying there is 46 Americans who were killed. Is that true? I don't know. And 46 Americans were those 46 American citizens who became Israeli citizens? Because a lot of Jewish people do that. And so what do we mean by that? This whole situation is very, very concerning. And we cannot trust what's coming out of the information. We don't know what's happening yet. All we know is that Palestine did, in fact, invade Israel. They were able to somehow get past their intelligence agencies. They were somehow able to overwhelm the Iron Dome. It was said the Iron Dome went down at the very beginning, which I was thinking was, did it go down because there's something, a malfunction? Or was it down because it was just overwhelmed with how many missiles were launched? I don't know. Here's another question. Where did they get so many missiles? Where did they get the weapons? The pictures that we were seeing had the had Hamas have American weapons. Where did those come from? I was seeing reports saying they came from Iran. I saw reports saying that it came from Afghanistan. I saw reports saying that it came from Ukraine. Are those true? I don't know. I saw those reports, but what does that mean? I don't know. And I think this is something that you have to keep in mind when people are making reports and making claims. We don't know the answers yet. We don't know what's going on. And these warmongers are getting us to a point where this is a very dangerous situation. Israel is a nuclear power. And so if they retaliate in a nuclear way, this is going to be very dangerous. We have to de-escalate. And I know, I mean, if I was an Israeli citizen, if I was in their shoes, I would be like, let's go in there and let's take them out because I would be upset and I would be scared. But as an American citizen, I'm thinking we have to de-escalate because this could only get worse. This can only end very, very badly. And Dan Crenshaw had tweeted out, this will not be a fleeting conflict in an Israeli-Palestine saga. This looks like it will be the war to end all wars. It's different this time, and it needs to be clear to Hamas and Iranian Ayatollah and all their proxies that this was a severe miscalculation. They need to be defeated. A war to end all wars. That sounds like World War III talk to me. And I, for one, do not want to end up in World War III. This is very, very concerning. Very concerning. Especially whenever we have U.S. officials saying, if Hezbollah gets involved, then the U.S. will certainly get involved. This is not, that's very bad. And then a couple hours ago, there was breaking saying, if the U.S. decides to directly intervene in the Gaza conflict, U.S. bases and troops in the region will all become legitimate targets of the axis of resistance. This comes from Iraqi, and I'm not going to be able to say any of these people's names right, Kataib Saeed, which is linked to Hezbollah in Iran. Now, for those who don't know, the axes of resistance includes Iran, Iraq, Syria, and Lebanon. This is very, very bad that that would happen. This puts American citizens and American soldiers at risk. And then Lauren, Laura Loomer, who put out this information, says... A source is telling me that there were emergency intel meetings this weekend to discuss the rise of Hamas terror groups that are operating in American cities. These Hamas terrorists come across the U.S. border and are apparently planning to attack major U.S. citizens or U.S. cities over the next 14 months. Hamas has directed their supporters in their telegram to retaliate against Americans 
for U.S. support of Israel. Is this true? I don't know. If it is true, that, I mean, that's very concerning. We have to be aware. We cannot bear our heads in the sand. Many people are saying, just close your eyes and it doesn't bother us. It doesn't, doesn't mean anything to me as an American. We should be concerned about this because it will affect us. And the IDS spokesperson said they mobilized 300,000 reservists in the last 48 hours. That's according to the Times of Israel. There is much intelligence saying that, for instance, <laughs> I was surprised by this. The Hamas attack was a surprise to the United States. How is it that from Israel and the United States, we we knew nothing about this? The two most powerful intelligence organizations, Israel and the United States, had no idea? That's and, fishy to me. And on the anniversary of the, what was it, the, the War of Yom Kippur? It's like if that if they were going to choose any day, that would be like if if on 9-11, the anniversary of 9-11, the 50th anniversary of 9-11, we were like, oh, you know what? We're going to relax our intelligence today. We're going to relax our our defenses today. That should be the day of high alert, right? Because that would be a symbolic day to attack. That's very, very strange. The whole story is very strange. And I think we have to be on the side of peace. We have to be on the side of peace. And I think... It's very good with his beatitude. Peace of Bala came out. He said that he can the continuing bloodshed and declaration of war reminds us once again of the urgent need to find a lasting comprehensive solution. Too many casualties and tragedies, both Palestinians and Israeli families that have to deal with hatred and division. We ask God to inspire world leaders in their intervention for the implementation of peace and concord. And he also makes a very clear recognition that we have to be praying for the Christians there. The Christians are being caught up in this war between the Jews and the Muslims, and we should definitely be worrying about our brothers and sisters who are in those lands. We'll be right back. Have you heard about life coaching? Hi, this is Coach Felicity with your Stand Tall Today Coaching Minute. Coaching is one of the things Jesus did with his disciples. Whenever they were stuck, overwhelmed, or even struggling a bit, Jesus asked questions that brought clarity and hope. He then used ongoing conversations that helps them to navigate the path and completely change their lives. Just like the disciples, we too can find ourselves feeling stuck, overwhelmed, and struggling a bit. Maybe you need help in your marriage or with a parenting issue, you're navigating a loss, you want to improve your health, or advance your career. At StandTallToday.com, our experienced coaches will help you to take another look at life, renew your hope, get past those challenges, and step into living abundantly. You can find out more about coaching and schedule a free introductory call by visiting us at StandTallToday.com. Listen, life is too short to stay stuck. Contact us at StandTallToday.com. Hey, Donnie, what are the two most important things we receive at Mass? Daddy Christmas scripture. That's right. All right, one more. Who loves you the most? Jesus. That's right. Mary. That's right. (laughs) They love us too. If you don't educate your children in the faith, who will? Educate yourself and your family by listening daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network. And make sure to get the GRN app by logging online to grnonline.com. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm Rudy Carlos, and hear more breaking news and headlines for you. The U.S. weapons that were in Afghanistan were apparently used in Gaza. 
reports that American weapons left behind during the Biden administration's botched and quick withdrawal from Afghanistan ended up in the hands of Palestinian groups in the Gaza Strip have taken on renewed significance in the wake of, of Hamas's attack on Israel. An Israeli commander said in June that some American arms seized in Afghanistan have already been observed in the hands of Palestinian groups operating in the Gaza Strip. And here's an interesting story, aside from all of the, uh, the stories of war here. You all know that I love a good treasure story. Now, this is a fantastic article. I recommend you check it out. It's on the Washington Times. And the headline goes, Witnesses to FBI hunt for Civil War gold describe heavily loaded armored truck and signs of a night dig. There's little historical evidence to substantiate old stories that an army detachment lost a gold shipment in the Pennsylvania wilderness. But the legend inspired generations of treasure hunters like McCarthy, a 45-year-old elk guide who recently decided to share his story because he thought the treasure hunter Dennis Parada, who had spent years looking for the gold before approaching the FBI with his findings, had been treated unfairly. In an interview at a remote hunting camp about 25 miles from Dent's Run, McCarthy recalls hearing the unexpected clang of heavy equipment as he worked his way up the mountain in near total darkness. Now, the agency, however, claims it recovered nothing of value from Dent's Run. And those are all your headlines this morning, but may God bless all of your holy efforts today. Thank you, Rudy, for keeping us up today. Before we jump into this other conversation, I did just see reported 18 minutes ago that missiles have just been launched from Lebanon towards Upper Galilee and Mount Hermon. That's uh, that's not good that Lebanon is getting involved because there are rumors of that of Lebanon getting involved a while ago, and now that's happening. So that's that's not good, and. It is very also very concerned to see America has moved a one of their aircraft carriers nearby. So that's also I mean, these things are escalating and we need to pray for peace because we definitely don't want a World War Three. And the more that we escalate things, the more likely we are to get to that. And we have to keep in mind that we're dealing with nuclear powers. And so when these things happen, it can always escalate even further and so let's today recognize that our lord desires peace our lord does not desire i mean think about all the children think about the christians that are in palestine and israel um our, his beatitude peace abala the latin patriarch there very clearly this is talking about the christians who are in both lands that are caught up in the middle of this that we need to pray for peace and the the patriarchs of the various churches in Jerusalem, which I suppose would mean the Orthodox, the Catholics, and the Armenians, called for the protection of both Israelis and Palestinians, saying, quote, As custodians of the Christian faith, deeply rooted in the Holy Land, we stand in solidarity with the people of this region. We are enduring the devastating consequences of continued strife. They said any acts that target civilians, regardless of their nationality, ethnicity, or faith, and needs to be condemned. And they called for all parties to immediately cease violence, saying, Our faith, which is founded on the teachings of Jesus Christ, compels us to advocate for the cessation of all violent and military activities that bring harm to both Palestinian and Israeli civilians. And I want to endorse the things that was said by his Beatitude, Peace of Allah, and the other Catholic, uh, Christians in the Holy Land. Uh, so definitely need to keep that in mind when we're talking about this. Now, to shift topics a little bit to um, 
Well, I was going to say to to a little bit light harder news, but actually not that much light more more lighthearted. Uh, Mr. John Clark is a columnist and political speechwriter and ghostwriter, which is kind of cool. I kind of want to ask about ghostwriting. That's a, kind of a cool thing. And he has written a book called "Betrayed Without a Kiss: Defending Marriage After Years of Failed Leadership in the Church." Uh, good morning to you, Mr. Clark. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me this morning. Uh, praise be to God. It's good to have you on. Now it's really. It's very concerning, the state of marriage in the world. And Our Lady of Fatima told Sister Lucia that the last battle of Satan would be on marriage and the family. And sure enough, we're seeing that play out. Uh, so tell me, why did you decide to write this book? Because there are many books right now about marriage and divorce. And so why this one now? So uh, what started this all was is that a friend of mine was going through some difficult times with his marriage. And it looked like a divorce was on the horizon. And so he came to me for some help and advice, and uh, you know uh, we talked a little bit, and I and I started thinking, all right, what what do we need to know about marriage? What what are we missing? And I wanted to go back and see because obviously a lot of marriages are in trouble. What's different now than it was like when my parents were growing up? What's what's different now? What has changed? And so when we started talking, he would say things like, um, well the diocese mandates a civil divorce prior to an annulment hearing. That's one of the things he mentioned. And I thought that can't be true. It it can't be that a diocese would mandate a civil divorce. After all, you know, in the Bible, I mean, God tells us God hates divorce. How could that be? And I thought that must be wrong. So I started doing some research. Well, of course he was correct. Uh, Every diocese that I'm aware of, and that's all, all in America, uh, mandate civil divorce prior to an annulment hearing, which is tragic, backwards. Um, it's it's just pretty awful. And so I started doing more and more research, and I, d- I started delving into when did things start going bad? Um, why why do we have this mandate for divorce? What what's what's going on with annulments? And I and I discovered some some pretty shocking statistics. So. In the late 1960s, in all of America, that is all the dioceses combined, there were about 350 annulments, 350 for one year. 20 years later, there were 70,000. Wow. 70,000? Correct. So that is, it was over 70,000. I'm rounding. It's over 70,000. So we went from 350. And so in one generation, from 350 to 70,000. Simultaneous to that, uh, the number of marriages has dropped. So now people are looking at it and saying, well, this is good. It's good news. The number of annulments is down. It sure is. But the problem is, is that from the, in the late sixties, we had something like 425,000 marriages a year in America, somewhere around there, before 25. Near 2020, we were under 100,000 marriages. So the, so the number of annulments is up from 350 to 70,000. The number of marriages has gone from 425,000 to under 100,000. Now, part of that, in fairness, was because this, there was sort of a sacramental shutdown in 2020, which was a broader problem. But that's, that number still follows the trajectory. So marriage, marriage is in trouble. I should say that matrimony is a sacrament is not in trouble. Sacraments don't break, but the system... So we need to, I wanted to bring to light some of the issues and some things we could do to help. Awesome, Mr. Clark. I would love to hear those. Uh, You know, there's some that uh, 
will see the amount of annulments and they'll use that as a touchstone to say that, uh, you know, for example, a church is handing them out like candy and therefore they're invalid. And But accepting this kind of way of thinking, I think, is a little bit dangerous considering we could never take what they say with authority. But I'm curious to see, you know, given the amount of annulments that we see today, what exactly is the cause? For me personally, it seems as if it would be a poor catechesis on what marriage actually is. So that's a great question, and my book I go over this is a very multifaceted thing. So you've got uh, problems uh, inside the church, you've got problems outside the church. So the problems outside the church, I look at uh, the prevalence of pornography, which, you know, again, if you start looking at timelines, that pornography has been a significant problem, to say the least. There has been a rejection of fatherhood, which, you know, we fathers, I mean, I have nine children, but we fathers are, uh, you know, told by society that we don't particularly matter, right? We're just sort of extra. Of course, mothers are starting to hear that now too. And so there are, and then there is radical feminism, which has taken hold from those dates we're talking about from the late 60s. Early, feminism was a little earlier, but so you have, you have those, those external problems. There is a lack of faith. And I think that there needs to be, ultimately there needs to be better uh, evangelization. There has to be, uh, the faith needs to be explained in a much better fashion. That's definitely true. But we need to start re- remembering that matrimony is a sacrament. It, it does not strike me as surprising in the least that the disbelief in the Eucharist, which seems to be getting worse by the day, is, is upon us because either we accept the validity of the, sa- the seven sacraments, and there are seven, that's defined, right? All Catholics believe there are seven sacraments. We need to support all seven because we start to find out that they're symbiotic. In other words, words either matter or they don't. Well, we as Catholics know that they do. This is my body. Those words matter. I do. Those words matter. And so we have to stand by those and realize that at times the sacraments can be difficult teaching. But we also we also need to be nourished from the pulpit. And we need priests and bishops telling us, reminding us really, that marriage is good. God loves marriage. The sacramental graces still flow through us, and we can rely on those graces, but we need to accept them. Amen. Amen. I think that's very, very good to keep in mind. We're going to go to a quick break. When we come back, there is so much more that we need to discuss because, uh, like you said, there are a lot of bad situations with our pastors not really emphasizing the truth of a Catholic marriage. It's getting too caught up in the worldly definitions of marriage and not enough focus on Christ-centered marriages. We'll be right back with more right after this. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Who did God use to get John the Baptist filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Here's your choices. Could it have been Simeon or St. Joseph or maybe an unknown prophet? Maybe Jesus. Who was it? Your answer in a moment. Secondly, so what methods do we see in the New Testament for Christians receiving the Holy Spirit? Well, it was usually through the laying on of hands. Peter and John laid hands on those in Samaria. St. Paul laid hands on those believers in Ephesus. Prior to that, we 
see Jesus merely breathing on the apostles. So here's your answer. A greeting. Yes, a greeting. You see, after Gabriel's powerful annunciation to the Virgin Mary, a simple, profound greeting from Mary to Elizabeth caused John the Baptist to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as a result, he leaped in her womb. Now, to all my daring Pentecostal church friends, no matter how much you pray in tongues over someone, this method won't work. Why? Because it's not a method. It was the divine team of the Blessed Trinity, Gabriel, Mary, and Elizabeth, and that, my friend, will not happen again. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to pray for vocations to the priesthood. Wouldn't it be great if everyone prayed daily for priestly vocations? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. Despite the fact that the world's gone crazy, it's still good to be here. And, you know... It kind of reminds me of, you know, I was talking to him earlier about the Feast of the Battle of Lepanto, the Feast of the Holy Rosary, which happened two days ago. But, you know, I personally, I'm celebrating it as an octave. I'm celebrating it as an octave, even though it's not an octave. I'm going to do it anyways. And the world's gone crazy. Everything is terrible. And I am thinking, just like at the Battle of Lepanto, outnumbered, and yet with Our Lady as the general and the Holy Rosary in our hands, we can still have victory and we don't have to worry or be depressed yes let's be prepared let's be informed but let's not be depressed because we know in the end my immaculate heart will triumph our lady of fatima says joining us right now is mr john clark he is the author of a book titled betrayed without a kiss defending marriage after years of failed leadership in the church thank you for joining us mr clark you know before we went to a break i had mentioned there's been a very major lack in catechesis on the sacrament of matrimony, so much so that nobody can even define what marriage is anymore. Even in the church, there's talks about civil unions with homosexuals. There's talk about what marriage is between in the in the secular sphere and that we're going to hand divorce over to the secular sphere and we're going to hand marriage over to the secular sphere and all these other ideas that are just absolutely absurd. And where, so let's start from the beginning. Let's start from foundations. What exactly is marriage and what should our pastors be teaching us? So I think that, um, I think that when I, so when I started this book, I actually wanted to go back to the very beginning uh, to answer this question, right? I wanted to go back to the very beginning. What is it that God intended marriage to be? And so I open, I go all the way back and I look at the Garden of Eden. And what do we see in the Garden? Well, uh, Genesis is so rich, you can never really exhaust it, right? So what, a lot of things struck me, and I went back and looked at the fathers, uh, looked at, obviously looked at Genesis itself, looked at the fathers and what, what, what they were teaching. Well, so we look at Adam, one flesh becomes two, and two becomes one again. And we see that. We see that it was meant to be indissoluble from the beginning. That's key, indissoluble from the beginning, we see that children are the primary purpose of matrimony. This should be taught from the pulpit all the time. Children are the primary purpose of marriage. Um, it's meant to be, there's meant to be fidelity. So 
I wanted to go back and all the way and look. So it's interesting that we go back and really get a glimpse of what God intended. And then we go to the gospel, we fast forward to the gospel of John. And so Genesis, that, that part of Genesis ends in tragedy because you have the, the serpent tempt a couple, and that's clearly what was happening. This was the serpent tempting a couple. This was the serpent trying to destroy the first marriage. Thought he had won, he had not. What happened, what's interesting is, so we have to think about the sacraments as restorative in nature, right? So Jesus it, uh, w- was restoring the sacraments to what he intended originally. It's interesting that, that the first miracle Jesus performs is at a wedding. And everybody kind of knows that, but so, so piece this together, right? So, so Genesis, the part of Genesis ends in tragedy because a couple falls. You go to the Gospel of John and you see that Mary says to Jesus, they have no wine. Jesus knows there's no wine, <laughs> but Mary says they have no wine. Mary realizes that his, if his public life begins, then it begins the road to Calvary. And yet she tells him they have no wine. That should give us some idea of the central importance of marriage in the church. And we need to hear this more. Uh, this is something that, I mean, I can, we can, you know, we can talk about this this morning, but this needs to be, this needs to be spoken from the pulpit. We need to hear that God loves marriage. We need to, we need to have that emphasized. And in terms of catechesis, it really is to start early. Um, we need to hear this much earlier than pre-Cana. It should start much earlier from the pulpit. Yeah, you know, Mr. Clark, one of the really surprising things for myself and my wife while we were preparing for marriage was uh, hearing the, the, you know, what you said with that children actually are the primary end and purpose of our marriage. Uh, you know, we've run into people who, um, you know, have told us, you know, well, like I'll throw out an example, and I know this may not apply to everybody, but they'll say things like, okay, look. Uh, the needs of my children, whatever they may be, I'm going to provide for them, but only so far as they don't impede on my husband and I, because the sacrament is between my husband and I, and that's the most important thing. The example that I'm going to throw out is, you know, let's say, for example, the children actually want to sleep in the bed, and the, the couple will say, no, that's because it's going to get in the way between, you know, my wife and I, there's going to be a barrier there. But actually, the proper order of things is to to raise children in the faith as as far as they can, but also that the the sacrament is not exclusively between the the man and the woman, but actually it's ordered towards the child. Right. So that's key. So the key part is is that is that the the primary purpose of marriage is the procreation, and really upbringing would be a probably a better word an upbringing of children. Right. So. Um, right now, my oldest is 30. Uh, my youngest is 14. We have nine children. And um, the upbringing is a lifetime thing. It's meant to be a lifetime thing. That, that, that doesn't mean that doesn't mean, you know, if they're, you know, they have to be directly in your lives. Uh, you know, the whole family stays together and, you know, lives together forever. That's not it. But uh, it's meant to be a lifelong thing. Um that's that's kind of key. So we have to really look at that. And the church should be mentioning, discussing things that actually help uh, with that. One of the things I mentioned in here um, is I speak about the living wage doctrine. So the idea is, is that uh, the employer should pay employees enough to support children. This was driven home consistently. Uh, actually, if you look at the social encyclicals, beginning with Rerum Novarum, certainly in, with Pope St. John Paul II, 
the idea of a living wage. So to your point, the church should should uh, evangelize and preach about the need to to provide parents the financial wherewithal to raise children. That's key to this whole thing. And I think that's another thing that we need to be speaking about more. Living wage doctrine. This is official teaching of the church. This isn't sort of out of left field. This is something that we need. And so I think one of the reasons we see marriages break up is for financial reasons. And one of the reasons, to your very excellent point, why are people thinking children are a burden? Well, part of the issue is, and this is for, you know, very solid, staunch, you know, Catholics, uh, as well as those, you know, wavering, you need to have the finances to support. And that's a key thing. We need to hear that. And I don't remember, I don't remember ever hearing about living wage doctrine from the pulpit. And I'm 52 years old. I go to mass every Sunday and I go to usually daily mass. It's not talked about. We need to talk about that more. There are things we need to realize uh, and be attentive to nourishing and nurturing current marriages. Now, why did you decide to name the book Betrayed Without a Kiss. That's a very interesting uh, reference, you know, obviously a reference to, to Judas, but without a kiss. Uh, why that? Well, the imagery there is that, you know, when, when couples are married, there's a kiss uh, involved and I, and I, and I, between them. And I think that uh, the church, as I say, should foster that. But when you see the annulment numbers go up as much as they are. So I'll give you, I'll give you an example of why I think a lot of this comes up. So, I think what happens is that you have couples that have a civil divorce and uh, they leave the church. Now, one of them, maybe a few years later, comes back and says, no, I want to come back to the sacraments. And so the priest, uh, believing that he's acting pastorally, will say, all right, well, let's see if there might be grounds for an annulment here. Let's start looking. So let's get out of the brochure and see, because a lot of dioceses, believe it or not, have brochures for uh, one of the dioceses has a brochure called Selecting the Grounds. Hmm. I find that a little bit offensive, uh, it, at least a little, because what you're, try- what you're doing there is essentially saying, well, what boxes could we check? Now, remember that when some people go in for annulments, we're not talking about 18 months later, although oh, right. I'm sure sometimes that, that comes. You're talking about 30, 40, 30, 40 years, and you think, well, what was your state of mind? What were you thinking? Right. Got to be honest, that's pretty tough pretty tough. So I think that there needs to be a reconciliation is the first thing that happens. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. Uh, the one thing that I hear all the time when it comes to annulments is that many people do not understand marriage and therefore they're not contracting a real marriage whenever they get married. And I, I take that and I'm thinking, when what other context do we do we make this a case? And then we'd have to put into doubt basically every marriage then. Every marriage is actually not valid, even though the church says that we presume that a marriage is valid unless proven otherwise. And then it puts into question all of the new sacraments, right? Because they say, oh, well, the, the kind of the, the priest kind of sees himself as a, as an overseer. He sees himself as a presider, not as a priest making a sacrificial act. Therefore, all the new masses are invalid. And then so on and so forth. And now we've just gone down this crazy rabbit hole of invalidating everything. Uh, but we only apply this to marriage. But the couple are saying the words, till death do us part. So how can we presume that they don't know what they're saying? Wow, you just did my heavy lifting for me. And this early in the morning, too. That was great. No, absolutely. Everything you said, amen to all of that. That's the problem. 
Do we want to start, as I point out in the book, what sacrament finds itself under relentless scrutiny like matrimony? Do we doubt holy orders? Do we doubt baptism? Are we doubting anointing of the sick? Conf- your confession 30 years ago? It, it gets to be crazy. It's one, you're right. It's one big rabbit hole. Actually, Cardinal Burke, there's a quote in here. Cardinal Burke, who was the head of the apostolic signatura, points out the very point you just made, which was that if you're going around and knowing all of these marriages, it starts to make people think that have no, who have no desire to, to be divorced and annulled. It makes them wonder, well, is my marriage valid? Right? We, it's, it's, it's crazy. It, it makes no sense. And, uh, again, you know, the idea that people don't understand what they're doing, matrimony is fairly easy to confect, right? It's not that difficult. Um, it's one of the easier sacraments. Uh, and, and so you start to wonder, remember that, that in canon law, uh, marriage uh, it can, it can occur at a very young age. You talk about 14 and 16. It's pretty young. So you have people thinking, well, you know, I was only late 30s at the time. I didn't really understand. The church is allowing marriage at 14 and 16. So I don't understand. Like, so it, it does strike me as strange that people in within the annulment hearing will say, I didn't have, you know, the emotional wherewithal or my, you know, my, my spouse didn't have it. My goodness. So you didn't have the level of a 14 year old. I, I don't, again, I, I, I find it a little bit ironic. They're willing to make that admission. But again, when we're start, when we're looking at it through checking boxes, We've reached a stage of a problem, and and I, I don't the, the the way back is for 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 priests to actually speak about this. And frankly, one of the things that has to start is is that from the pulpit, we need to hear about children need to hear that marriage is good. In my book, I talk about the fact that my first pre cana teachers were mom and dad when I was very young. I they loved each other. They were they they raised me. They they loved me. They loved each other. That's pre, how pre cana should begin. Mm-hmm. The teaching about marriage shouldn't begin a couple of months prior to your marriage. It should happen when you're very young. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Maybe we'll have to have him back on. There's so much to dig into in regards to the marriage question. But check out the book, Betrayed Without a Kiss, published by Tan Books. We'll be right back with more Catholic Drive Time. God bless you, Mr. Clark. We'll be right back right after this. I would always hear from uh, different people at non-Catholic churches that Catholics were going to hell or that they really didn't know who the Lord was. The Catholic Church is not all what people say it is. I mean, it's completely different. There's so many stereotypes. It's very possible to know the Lord, and it's very possible to have a relationship with God in the Catholic Church. I believe I was born into the Catholic Church, and that's where I belong. If you've been away from the Catholic Church, visit catholicscomehome.org. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever noticed that sometimes it's hard to get along with your family? That sometimes the people in your family are downright uncongenial? Well, G.K. Chesterton says that is precisely why the family is so important. Because it is often uncongenial. Every family is filled with the same problematical people that you find everywhere else. And so anyone revolting against the family is simply revolting against mankind. As Chesterton says, Aunt Elizabeth is unreasonable, like mankind. Papa is excitable, like mankind. Our youngest brother is mischievous, like mankind. And so, if we can get along with our family, we can get along with anyone. Want more than a minute? Visit our website 
chesterton.org. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to say some prayers for the souls in purgatory. Wouldn't it be great if everyone prayed often for those in purgatory? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. When I was outside of the church, there was always an unsettled feeling. There was always a feeling of something missing and something not complete. The, the deal clincher is we found our way to our, our parish, and we met just an incredible pastor. We learned things that we'd never been taught. wouldn't be the person that I am without the church and without the sacraments, particularly the Eucharist. I can't live without it. If you've been away from the Catholic Church, visit catholicscomehome.org. And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. Happy Columbus Day to you. I don't care what anybody else says. Me and my house, we're celebrating Columbus Day. There's a clip from, I don't even know what a movie, what TV show. Was it a movie or a TV show? Some some show, it makes its rounds. A clip makes its rounds. It's The Sopranos. Sopranos. Is that yeah. a TV show or a movie? It's a TV series TV on series. HBO. I don't recommend it. Okay. It's, uh, I do not recommend it. There you go. <laughs> I don't but endorse it. I do not endorse it, but there's a clip from <laughs> it's it. It's a hilarious scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It makes its round around Columbus time every now and then. And it's a clip of the uh, the father who's an Italian, right? And he <laughs> he his son is like talking about this anti-Columbus narrative and he's promoting it. And he uh, tells his son, he goes, in this house, Columbus is a hero. I don't care what your textbooks say. And I'm like, yeah, go, dad. Let's go. <laughs> um, I think he's actually like a mobster or something. Yeah, he's in the mob. <laughs> <laughs> but whatever. Uh, that's not here nor there for this in this in this regard. Also, you know, Columbus, I'm going to say, I guess the, the Spanish get to claim him, mm-hmm. not the Italians, because mm-hmm. the Italians didn't want to fund him. He was rejected by the Italians. The Spanish are the ones who accepted him. The Spanish are the one who funded him. So I'm just going to say, I'm going to go out there and say, it is uh, the Spaniards who get to claim Columbus. In fact, in uh, Spain, they have like statues to Columbus, things like that there. Um, well, as, well, however, though, in America, the United States specifically, the reverence and the and columbus day was actually created as a way to kind of ease italian anti-italian sentiments and so i suppose italians can also claim columbus so you know okay fine but i did want to talk about some myth busting in regards to columbus because Every year around Columbus Day, you have all these myths. Columbus was so evil. Columbus was bad. Oh, no. Um, it's actually Indigenous Peoples Day. Right. Which ones? Um, the ones who were eating others or the ones who were cutting out the hearts of other Indigenous peoples? Which Indigenous peoples are we talking about? Or taking each other as slaves or... Hmm. Because we have to remember the vast majority of the quote-unquote Indigenous peoples were not exactly saints the though Columbus did run in, and this is one of the myth busting, right? Uh, right off the bat, we'll skip ahead to this one. 
when Columbus arrived, he actually ran into which honestly, many people he was it was regarded as divine providence because imagine if the well, let me just tell you the story before I jump ahead of myself. The Columbus lands, and the tribe that he runs into is a peaceful tribe, and he's actually able to communicate with them, able to discuss with them, and able to uh, become friends with them, and so much so that Columbus actually ends up becoming the godfather to some of the people. And you can check in his journals when he wrote back to Queen Isabella that he even said, these people are natural Christians. They need only be instructed and baptized. And so uh, that's actually was a sign that many people gave that this was divine providence of Columbus coming into the new world because the vast majority of the tribes were cannibals, that they would have eaten them and killed them, that they would have been outnumbered and they would have been killed as soon as they landed. But they actually landed with friendly tribes and that was actually a sign of divine providence because he actually ends up helping this tribe against the other tribes that were cannibals that were trying to attack and kill the tribes that he became friends with so let's go through a little bit of myth busting around columbus day because every year we do this and i i I would rock to recommend this book Uh, carol delaney which i would love to interview her again unfortunately I pray for her soul. She is getting old and I think she's losing her memory. Last time we interviewed her, uh, a couple hours after the interview, she called me and said that she was she apologized for not making it to the interview that she forgot even though we had just interviewed her. And I think she's losing her memory. Uh she wrote this book called The Columbus and the Quest for Jerusalem. Now, Carol Delaney is not a Christian. She is actually kind of anti-Christian. And so that's why I say pray for her soul that she converts before she dies. And she wrote this book about Columbus, which I highly recommend debunking a lot of the myths around Columbus because she was a cultural anthropologist and she studied Columbus and discovered that most of the claims about him are false and no one can accuse her of being, Oh, this Catholic fanaticist or this, this person who just is obsessed with Columbus because he's Catholic and trying to defend Christianity uh, that's definitely not her. She's not very pro-Christian at all. However, if you are a Catholic, then you should also know that at Vatican I, the bishops there actually brought up the cause of canonization for Columbus, but it got dropped because of um, World Wars, the World Wars One and Two, and never got picked up again. And so hopefully one day we can open up the cause of canonization, and then we can get all the facts laid out, and we can see whether or not he should be canonized or not. But it is interesting that his cause was, in fact, brought up at Vatican I, even if it didn't actually end up going anywhere. But maybe one day we'll bring it back up, and then we can get to the bottom of everything. But anyway, let's begin with myth-busting. So, let's start with myth number one. Columbus was selling to prove the world was round. This is just simply not true. Just simply false, negative, negatory. In fact, ever since every educated person at the time of the 15th century knew the earth was a sphere. A fact that has been known since antiquity, considering the Greeks were able to calculate with a high degree of accuracy the circumference of the earth. What was in dispute was the earth's circumference, which Columbus underestimated by a fourth. So he actually, he did in fact try to calculate circumference and was off by a fourth. And he, so that's why he ended up thinking he was in the Indies when he was not. Uh, But He did not think the earth was flat. That's just simply not the case. Now, here's another thing. So he did not think the earth was round. Or 
or you're trying to prove that it was round. That was not the case. Myth number two. Columbus introduced slavery to the New World. Uh, Rudy already touched on this a second ago. Uh, slavery was already widespread among the native Indians when Columbus arrived. Columbus was insistent on the fair treatment of the Indians, a policy which gained him many enemies as governor of Española. Bartolomé de las Casas, a Spanish friar who worked for the protection of the Indians, is quick to extricate his fellow Spaniards in their grave abuses, but is filled with nothing but respect and admiration for Columbus. The mass subjugation and importation of Africans to the Americas did not begin until a generation after Columbus's death. So it is incorrect to accuse Columbus of introducing slavery to the New World. It's just wrong. False. Okay, another myth. The Indians lived in peace and harmony, ruined by Columbus and his fellow Europeans. This is just absurd. History tells us otherwise. War, slavery, cannibalism, sexual immorality were all common practices among the Indians. As the Spanish would later find out, human sacrifice and infanticide were the norm among other Indians. Like, for instance, the Aztecs would be the most famous. The Aztecs slaughtered upwards of 20,000 in a single day. And they sacrificed many of their enemies by removing their still beating hearts. So that's simply the case. In fact, whenever, and to just kind of jump ahead in history, when Cortez took out the Aztecs, who aided him? It was all the surrounding Indian nations. All the other Indian tribes assisted him in taking out the Aztecs. Why? Because the Aztecs were bad. No good. No bueno. Aztecs, the Mayans, so on and so forth. On Columbus' second voyage, he actually brought first of the many Christian, namely Catholic, missionaries. The men tried to convert the Indians from their barbaric pagan practices, and many missionaries suffered martyrdom to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Very important. Also, uh, Columbus was, in fact, the um, he was a Franciscan. Many people don't know that. He was a third order Franciscan and was buried in his Franciscan habit. That's a very a common fact that's just not known. In Columbus's log, it is clear that he insisted on the fair treatment of the people he encountered. Upon his first meeting with the natives on San Salvador, Columbus says, quote, I recognize that they were people who would be better freed and converted to our holy faith by love than by force. Very interesting. Very interesting, the contrast between what Columbus actually wrote and what people claim that he was about. Now, the, here's a number four myth, or a number five myth. Columbus was responsible for genocide, deliberately wiping out millions. Now, genocide is defined as a deliberate, systematic, and widespread extermination of a national, racial, religious, or ethnic group. Yes, many Indians did die in initial contact with the Europeans. However, any talk of deliberate extermination on the part of Columbus is a lie. Columbus always treated the natives fairly, even when some of his contemporaries did not. In fact, he was heavily chastised because of his cruel punishment to Spanish soldiers. Because some Spanish soldiers abused the native peoples, and Columbus, being the governor... Punished it very severely. And in fact, he'd actually chopped the hands off of some of the Spanish soldiers. And so if anything, he is critiqued for being too cruel to the Spanish soldiers rather than to the natives. Now, Indian conquest among the cells has been going on long before. 
and he actually helped to establish foundations for the fair treatment of the conquered. So he kind of created a pseudo court system at the time. Now, the real amount of deaths, because even amongst that, there was not the amount of deaths that people were talking about. But the real amount of deaths occurred and in the next myth. So the next myth is Columbus and his men deliberately spread diseases. Now, I, I'm confused by this claim because people will say that these people back then were so crude and ignorant. They didn't even know the world was round. They thought the world was flat. How did they know about the spreading of diseases? Did they actually have germ theory? Because no one knew what a germ was until Louis Pasteur in the 1870s, which was 350 years later. And so Columbus and his contemporaries could not have deliberately spread diseases that they themselves did not understand. Yes, they did spread diseases, but they didn't do it deliberately. It's absurd to claim otherwise. They did, in fact, get people sick, but that was not a direct result. And yeah, people died because of sickness, but that can hardly be attributed as a, a fault of them. So, let's see here. Here we go. And we'll skip this one. Columbus didn't discover anything. He died thinking he found Asia. Uh, that's long story short. Yes, the Vikings did come there, but they didn't actually make known it, and they didn't settle anything there. So, yes, the Vikings did arrive in that area, but it's weird to give them the credit considering they didn't establish anything. And so we'll move on from there. Uh, what Columbus did was nothing special. Anybody could have sailed west to the Americas. That's really not the case. In fact, the voyage was incredibly risky, and he spent years trying to get the money for the voyage. But here's the question. Why did he go? He went, many people will say, it's for uh, for gold and treasure and wealth and power. And that's not the case. How do we know that? Because Columbus himself says so. Columbus explicitly says that he went here to get gold for the funding of the crusade to take back the Holy Land because he believed the second coming of Christ was imminent. The second coming of Christ was going to happen in his lifetime. And so he wanted to be able to get enough money to fund the crusades to take back the Holy Land from the Muslims. So that way, when Christ came, they would have the Holy Land in possession of the Catholics. In fact, his first prayer on reaching land was as follows. Quote, he says, O Lord, eternal and omnipotent God, thou hast by thy holy world word created the heavens, the earth, and the sea. Blessed and glorified be thy name. Praise be thy majesty, who hast deigned that by means of thy unworthy servant, thy sacred name should be acknowledged and made known in this new quarter of the world. That's very interesting. That's very interesting that he had that understanding that when he got there, he wanted to save souls. That was the primary mission of Christopher Columbus. In fact, he after he founded La Navidad on the island of Española on December 25th, 1492, he writes, I hope to God that when I come back here from Castile, I will find a barrel of gold for which these people have traded, and they will have found the gold mine and the spices and in such quantities that within three years, the sovereigns will prepare for and undertake the reconquest of the Holy Land. I have already petitioned your highness to see that all the profits of my enterprise should be spent on the conquest of Jerusalem. And your highness smiled and said that even without the expedition, they had inclination to do it. End quote. So many more myths to bust about Columbus, but we'll leave that there. Maybe we'll talk about more of them in the after show. 
But we're going to go into our fear and trembling game show. So call now, 877-757-9424-877-757-9424. We'd like you to call now. We're giving away prizes and you could be the winner, 877-757-9424. We'll be right back. Are you feeling lost in a sea of overwhelm? Hi, this is Coach Felicity with Stand Tall Today Coaching Minute. Many people find themselves challenged with overwhelm. Too many things to take care of, too many people to please, too much work to do. And in spite of their best efforts, they continue to fall behind with this overwhelm coming in like a flood. But that's not the abundant life that Jesus wants you to live. That's why Stand Tall Today has experienced professional coaches that will assist you in dialing down that overwhelm. They'll help you get a grasp on where you are and create a plan that enables you to take bite-sized steps of action so you can live an abundant life. Why not take your first step right now? Go to StandTallToday.com and find a coach that is just right for you. Because life is simply too short to stay lost in a sea of overwhelm. This is Coach Felicity with your Stand Tall Today Coaching Minute. So many of us carry such heavy burdens. Come on, babe. It'll be fun. It's just you and me. Deep within, we struggle because sin separates us from God. But thanks to the grace of confession, God compassionately listens, forgives, and sets us free. So if it's been a while since you've been to confession or mass, come home and experience a fresh start. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. <laughs> the Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424. I know it's Columbus Day, so a lot of kids aren't going to school. A lot of moms not driving their kids to school. So today, I would say, for those who are not driving kids to school, it's your opportunity to call in. 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424 is the number to call to be part of our game show, Fear and Trembling. Let me give you that number one more time, then I'll tell you what we're doing here. 877-757-9424. I have three Catholic trivia questions here. And the trick is I'm not going to ask you the questions. I'm going to ask Rudy the questions. It's your job as the caller to be able to guess whether or not he is right or whether or not he is wrong, which means you have a 50-50 chance of getting the question right, even if you just guess. If you don't know the answer, you have a 50-50 chance of getting each and every question correct. And every right answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. Rudy, what could they win? Praise be to God. This week, CDT is giving away a copy of the book, The Synodal Process is a Pandora's Box. Now, this book was written by Mr. Ureta and Mr. Loretto of the TFP, Tradition, Family, and Property. It's 100 questions and answers, in other words, a short catechism on the synodal process with a foreword by Cardinal Burke. We've got just, I think, one more of these books to give away, so we're going to be giving this one away this week. It's a wonderful book, and uh, it'll inform you about the synodal process that's taking place now. There you go. Uh, Praise be to God. It was very good to have that. Now, I have 
uh, awesome opportunity for you uh, this week. If you want to call in, you can write that number down. Make sure, because if you're not the caller today, you still have four more opportunities to be the caller. That number, 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424. Now, you can always go to our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. And if you call, if you go there, you can find all of our information listed. So that way you can always write our number down and call in if you're not on today. But joining us right now is Maria. Good morning to you, Maria. Good morning. Maria, where are you calling in from? I'm calling from San Antonio. San Antonio. Praise be to God. You know, San Antonio is probably, I don't know, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to get percentages here. Like probably 98% of our callers are San Antonio callers. I'm going to dare Yay. say San Antonio is the best city in Texas. Whoa. I'm just going to say. Whoa. <laughs> I'm just going to say. As a native Houstonian, I am contractually obligated to disagree, but I do love San Antonio. That is a cope, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my family would go growing up. We would go every spring break for up until I was like 16 years old. We would go to San Antonio every single year for spring break. So I like San Antonio a lot. Uh, Maria, uh, where are you off to this morning? I am off to work. I'm a dental hygienist. Ah, dental hygienist. Oh, have you called in before, Maria? I have not. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. We had another, uh, someone who worked in a dentist office. I don't know if it was a dental hygienist or not. A dental but... apologist. <laughs> dental they were, apologist. They were, they were claiming, no, no, we don't cause pain. No, we don't cause pain at all. Yeah, I have to admit, Maria, uh, the dentist terrifies me. I am yeah, absolutely scared. Absolutely scared of the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I tell my patients, I was like, "Well, good, because I'm not a dentist. I'm a dental hygienist." There you go. Yeah. There you go. See, I, w- I will go see. I will go see a dental hygienist instead because dentists <laughs> terrify me. Now, in your professional opinion, how many times should we be flossing per day? Um, honestly, at the end of the day, I would say just okay, once. Just once. Okay. At the end of the day. Yes. No, it's reasonable. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I, be- I believe so, because if you do it in the morning, well, you know, the first thing you do is have breakfast, and then you snack around, you have lunch, you know, you get your mouth dirty. So the best time is really after you're done getting your mouth dirty, essentially. Oh, well, there you go. So praise be to God. See, I learned something new today. But the question is, will you learn something new today, Maria? Are you ready to play? Are you familiar with the game show? Uh, I am. I, I guess I'm ready as I'm going to be. <laughs> All right, let's jump into it. Uh, question number one for you, Rudy. The question on the board is, and this is actually a very important question, to be honest. Must the wine used for mass be fermented? Must it be fermented? Yes. Must it be fermented? Listen, as a Baptist preacher, I got to tell you, Mm. that offends me a great deal. A great deal is uh, offending me that you are proposing to me that it's got to drink alcohol, uh, the devil's juice. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely not. It must not be fermented. There should never be alcohol. All right. God All never right. created alcohol. Alcohol ever. is is the, of the devil, is it what is I've been of told. The devil. I've been told that. Especially on Sundays. All right, Maria. 15 seconds on the clock. The question on the board is, must the wine used for mass be fermented? Rudy, our Baptist preacher here, says... Absolutely not. It would be a sin to be drinking alcohol. Uh, what say you, Maria? Oh, man. I, I used to be sure of this, and I, I I have had wine, obviously, and I want to say it does taste like it's got alcohol. I'm going to say it, it has to be fermented. 
Okay, you're going to say Rudy is wrong. Let's see. Sinner. Um, that is correct, Maria. <laughs> that is correct. It's you true. are right. Yes. In fact, the wine there's, has this, to be fermented. there's a funny Baptist preacher who said that no one, God had never created alcohol ever. It's all man made. And then somebody just shut him down and said, actually, Jesus, <laughs> our Lord, made alcohol. So, yeah. Buyakasha moment right there. There you go. Yeah. There you go. So, yes, it is only a sin to be drunk, not to drink uh, alcohol. Exactly. True. So, praise be to God. And yes, uh, very important. There has to be alcohol in the wine used for mass. If it's not, it's not valid. So that's very important. All right, Maria, you ready for number two? I think so. All right. I hope you're listening earlier because that would give away the answer to this question that we talked about in the top of the hour or last hour. Rather, the question on the board is, Rudy, it is this this thing that I'm going to talk about that I'm describing here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is a form of mental and vocal prayer. That's centered on the mysteries of events and the lives of Jesus and Mary. What is this? All right. So October, believe it or not, uh -huh. is the month dedicated to this thing. Oh, really? This thing. What is this thing? Person, place, or thing. It's actually the rosary. <gasps> the rosary. The rosary. Okay. If you want to take a cheap vacation, pray mm -hmm. the rosary. I mean, you're going to be seeing the sights. You're going to be seeing the sounds. The safest way to go to the Holy Land. The safest way to go to the Holy Land right now. Pray the rosary. All right. All right, Maria. 15 seconds on the clock. The question on the board is, this thing is a form of mental and vocal prayer that's centered on the mysteries of events in the lives of Jesus and Mary. Rudy says, it's the rosary. What say you, Maria? Uh, I fully agree with that. She fully agrees with that. Well, let's see. Survey says... That is correct, Maria. Way to go. Um, it is, in fact, the month of the rosary. Do you pray the rosary every day, Maria? Uh, uh -oh. No, I, uh -oh. not every day. I've gotten way, way better in the last year. Praise but be to not God. every day. I still try as much as I can, though. All right. Getting Amen. better. Praise be to God. We like it. We like getting better. That's, uh, that's the direction we want to go because, you know what they say, if you're not growing, you're shrinking. There is no stagnation in the spiritual life. So pray the rosary every day, Maria. It would be a great practice, especially during the month of October. Do it. Make it a make it a commitment today during the month of October dedicated to the Feast of Our Lady, the Rosary. Let's pray the rosary every single day. And I will be keeping you in my intentions that you succeed in that, Maria. Are you ready for question number three? I am. All right. Let's do it. Question number three, Rudy. We're going to stick on the topic of prayer here. Okay. Now, this is a very obscure prayer. Many people may have never heard this prayer. Made most people, their moms probably didn't pray this to them before bed. Um, many people do not pray this prayer before they go for drives. Um, okay, so just keep that in mind. Very obscure. The prayer is, which prayer includes the words to light, to guard, to rule, to guide? Now, as a master of mental prayer. Oh, a certified master. Certified. If I say, if I dare say so myself, a little bit better than St. John of the Cross. I have noticed that. Uh, that happens to be mm -hmm. describing the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. So that's uh. the actual, that's the litany of the Holy Ghost, which includes to light and to guide. Who guides and lights the church? The Holy Ghost. Okay. That is certainly an answer there. Well, Maria, I don't know if, they, I, guess, I guess there's two questions here. One, is Rudy more brilliant more 
holy than John of the Cross himself? Uh, no, no, that's not the question. That's not the question. All right, 15 <laughs> seconds on the question. On the, on the question. On the clock, Maria. The question is, which prayer includes the words to light, to guide? What say you, Maria? Rudy says, it's the prayer of the litany of the Holy Ghost. What say you, Maria, from San Antonio, Texas? Um... I'm not so sure about that one, but I'm going to say true. You're going to say true. All right. Well, let's see if that's correct or not. No, that's not correct. Oh. I don't, don't know why <laughs> he did that. But the correct answer is, in fact, the angel of God, the guardian angel prayer. Oh, guardian angel prayer. Okay. Yes, yes. So I- the prayer is, angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom God's love commits me here. Ever this day be at my side to light, to guard, to rule, to guide. Amen. That's the prayer of the guardian angel prayer. Oh. Well, don't worry, okay. Maria. You're in for two. That's two out of three. That's pretty good odds. That's Those are good chances. Uh, how do you feel? Wow. I mean, I was scared of this to call in, but I was like, you know what? I need to I need to try. So I, I feel happy. Good, <laughs> good. Yeah, two out of three is pretty decent, I would say. And now you probably learned something new today, no? I did. Yes, I There did. you go. Praise be to God. See, I learned something new today that we should floss at the end of the day before bed. <laughs> and I hope you learned something new today as well. So praise be to God, Maria. Now, uh, pray for us. We'll be praying for you, especially during the month of October, dedicated to Holy Rosary. But God bless you. God love you. And uh, be nice to the people uh, getting their uh, their dental work done. I will. I always try. <laughs> Amen. Amen. See, I, it gives me hope. Not, not everybody who works in dental office is scary. Uh, we're going to put you on hold, Maria, to get your information. Stay on hold. We, we'll get to you in just a second. Okay. Thank you. And that's going to do it for the radio side. If you want to join us in the after show, you're welcome to do so. Hop on YouTube, Facebook, Rumble, Odyssey, and we will interact with you directly. So make sure you do so. Go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT. There is listed all of our social media feeds, or you can just look us up, Catholic Drive Time, at any of those feeds. And we love to interact with you directly. We'll talk about Israel. We'll talk about Columbus. We'll talk about whatever it is you want to talk about, annulments, divorce, marriages. But if not, we'll see you back here tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, across the Guadalupe Radio Network and Catholic Spirit Radio. God love you, and I'll see you very soon. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Celebrating the memorial of Saints Dennis and Companions, this morning's Mass is being offered for all of our listeners on Guadalupe Radio Network, all of our online viewers, and for those present. Love divine, all love's excelling, joy of heaven to earth come down. 
Fix in us thy humble dwelling, all thy faithful mercies crown. Jesus, source of all compassion, pure unbounded love thou art. Visit us with thy salvation. Enter every trembling heart. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Brothers and sisters, let us call to mind our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. O God, who sent St. Dennis and his companions to preach your glory to the nations and strengthen them for their mission with the virtue of constancy in suffering, grant, we pray, that we may imitate them in disdaining prosperity in this world and in being undaunted by any trial. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the beginning of the book of the prophet Jonah. This is the word of the Lord that came to Jonah, son of Amatiah. Set out for the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah made ready to flee to Tarshish, away from the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went abroad to journey with them to Tarshish, away from the Lord. The Lord, however, hurled a violent wind upon the sea, and in the furious tempest that arose, the ship was on the point of breaking up. Then the mariners became frightened, and each one cried to his God, to lighten the ship for themselves, they threw his cargo into the sea. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down into the hold of the ship and lay there fast asleep. The captain came to him and said, What are you doing asleep? Rise up, call upon your God. Perhaps God will be mindful of us so that we may not perish. Then they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots to find out on whose account we have met with this misfortune. So they cast lots and thus signaled out Jonah. Tell us, they said, what is your business? Where do you come from? 
What is your country and to what people do you belong? Jonah answered them, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now the men were seized with great fear and said to him, How could you do such a thing? They knew he was fleeing from the Lord because he had told them. They asked, What shall we do with you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea was growing more and more turbulent. Jonah said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea that it may quiet down for you, since I know it is because of me that this violent storm has come upon you. Still the men rode hard to regain the land, but they could not, for the sea grew ever more turbulent. Then they cried to the Lord, We beseech you, O Lord, let us not perish for taking this man's life. Do not charge us with shedding innocent blood, for you, Lord, have done as you saw fit. Then they took Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea's raging abated. Struck with great fear of the Lord, the men offered sacrifice and made vows to him. But the Lord sent a large fish that swallowed Jonah, and Jonah remained in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From the belly of the fish Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Then the Lord commanded the fish to spew Jonah upon the shore. The Word of the Lord. You will rescue my life from the pit, O Lord. You will rescue my life from the pit, O Lord. Out of my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the midst of the netherworld I cried for help, and you heard my voice. You will rescue my life from the pit, O Lord. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood enveloped me. All your breakers and your billows passed over me. You will rescue my life from the pit, O Lord. Then I said, I am banished from your sight, yet would I again look upon your holy temple. You will rescue my life from the pit, O Lord. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. My prayer reached you in your holy temple. You will rescue my life from the pit, O Lord. Alleluia. Alleluia, Alleluia, I give you a new commandment, love one another as I have loved you. Alleluia, Alleluia. Hallelujah. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. There was a scholar of the law who stood up to test Jesus and said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? He said in reply, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He replied to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But because he wished to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man fell victim to robbers as he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. They stripped and beat him and went off, leaving him half dead. 
A priest happened to be going down that road, but when he saw him he passed by on the opposite side. Likewise a Levite came to the place, and when he saw him he passed by on the opposite side. But a Samaritan traveler who came upon him was moved with compassion at the sight. He approached the victim, poured oil and wine over his wounds, and bandaged them. Then he lifted him up on his own animal, took him to an inn, and cared for him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper with the instruction, Take care of him. If you spend more than what I have given you, I shall repay you on my way back. Which of these three, in your opinion, was neighbor to the robber's victim? He answered, The one who treated him with mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. The Gospel of the Lord. <coughs> this morning's Gospel, we hear the beautiful parable of the Good Samaritan. The fathers of the church um, typically interpreted the parable of the Good Samaritan from a Christological perspective, putting Christ at the center of it. In the first place, they said that the man who is beaten up, robbed, and left for dead on the side of the road is really an image of Adam. It's an image of fallen humanity. We have been despoiled and plundered by the temptation of the devil, fallen into sin, broken communion with God, and thereby are on the side of the road plundered and awaiting a savior, awaiting someone who can restore us into the fullness of communion with God. The passers-by, we have the Levite and the priest who pass by. The Levite is really representing his countrymen, representing, we could say, man-made culture. The priest, of course, is representing religion or man-made religion, and both of them kind of pass by on the other side of the road, showing that we human beings do not have the power or capacity to save ourselves. We are in need of a savior. The Samaritan, the one who was completely other to the man who was plundered, the one who would have had the best excuse to walk by on the other side and say, no, thank you, I don't have time for this, he precisely is the one who stops and shows mercy upon the beaten and plundered man. The Samaritan, the one who is other to the man who had been plundered, is of course a representation of Jesus. Jesus, who in his divinity is completely other from our human nature, he identifies with our pain and sorrow so much that in the incarnation God becomes one of us in order to save us. Jesus is the Good Samaritan who bestows God's mercy upon us, who really is God's mercy incarnate, who comes to save us. The wine and the oil are representations of the sacraments, say the fathers of the church. The gifts of Christ which have the power to heal and to restore us in communion and grace with God. And finally, the inn is a representation of the church. The Samaritan goes and he entrusts the man to the innkeeper and so too Jesus gives power and authority to the church in order to continue his saving mission. My brothers and sisters, in today's parable of the Good Samaritan it begins with the question, who is my neighbor? Really Jesus flips that entire question on his head and he says the question should not be 
who is my neighbor, but rather, who can I be a neighbor to today? Who can I show God's mercy to today? Who can I introduce to the church today? Who can I bring to Jesus today? Because this is really what the Lord himself has done for us. Though he was other, he became our brother, he became our neighbor, and he invites us to offer the same mercy and kindness to one another. And so today, as we go forward, let us ask God for the grace that in the first place we would notice and see those around us who are suffering, those who maybe in this moment feel plundered and beaten down, and in noticing their plight, that we would hurry, as Jesus did, to identify ourselves with them, to not walk on the other side of the road, but to care enough to stop and to try to be of assistance, and to remember that the greatest assistance we can ever be to someone is to be Jesus Christ for them, to anoint them with the grace of Christ, to, with the goodness of Jesus, and ultimately as well to be able to invite them and lead them to the inn, which is the church. Amen. Trusting in our Father's love and mercy, let us bring our petitions before him. We pray for our Holy Father, Pope Francis, for his physical and spiritual needs. We pray to the Lord. We pray for bishops and government leaders that they would be inspired by the wisdom and counsel of the Holy Spirit in their decisions. We pray to the Lord. We pray for the sick and the suffering, that they would be given consolation in their faith and the courage and perseverance to unite their sufferings with Christ on the cross. We pray to the Lord. We pray for peace on the earth, especially in the Holy Land at this time. We pray to the Lord. We pray for our family, friends, benefactors, for those who have asked for our prayers, for those joining us on the Guadalupe Radio Network online, and for all those enrolled in the Salt Mass Association. We pray to the Lord. For the grace that we would always be people of mercy, people ready to stop and assist those who are suffering, we pray to the Lord. For those intentions that we hold in our heart, we pray to the Lord. Merciful Father, we thank you for hearing our petition and granting our prayers through Christ our Lord. Amen. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you, fruit of the earth and work of human hands, it will become for us the bread of life. Blessed be God forever. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you. Fruit of the vine and work of human hands, it will become our spiritual drink.
pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. Receive, Holy Father, the offerings we bring in commemoration of the holy martyrs, and grant that we, your servants, may be found steadfast in confessing your name through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, for you are glorified when your saints are praised. Their very sufferings are but wonders of your might. In your mercy you give ardor to their faith. To their endurance you grant firm resolve. And in their struggle the victory is yours through Christ our Lord. Therefore, all creatures of heaven and earth sing a new song in adoration, and we with all the host of angels cry out, and without end we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Pleni sunt celi et terra, gloria tua, hosanna in excelsis, benedictus, qui venit in nomine domini, hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and, giving thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith, save us, Savior of the world, for by your cross and resurrection you have set us free. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, 
We offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you've held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world and bring her to the fullness of charity together with Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray, that with the blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the blessed apostles, and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. divina institutione formati. Audemus dicere, Pater Noster, qui es in celis, sanctifice tuhur nomen tuhum, adveniat regnum tuhum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in celo et in terra, panem nostrum coditianum, da nobis hodie. Et imite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus, debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amahalo. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil, graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, Qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, 
but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. For those unable to receive communion and those joining us online and through Guadalupe Radio, let us pray together the act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Thank Thee who has planted Thy holy name within our hearts. Knowledge and life, pure immortal, Jesus, Thy Son, to us imparts. Thou, Lord, didst make all for thy pleasure didst give man food for all his days, giving in Christ the bread eternal. Thine is the power, be thine the praise. Let us pray. O God, who in your holy martyrs have wonderfully made known the mystery of the cross, graciously grant that drawing strength from this sacrifice, we may cling faithfully to Christ and labor in the church for the salvation of all through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Hail, holy queen enthroned above, O Maria. Hail, mother of mercy and of love, O Maria. Triumph all ye cherubim, sing with us ye seraphim. Heaven and earth resound the hymn, Salve. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. 
May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels, St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one, from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Transmitting the treasures of our Catholic faith to your radio every day. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul.